This episode of Amazing Grace Talk was brought to you by the Duke Burglar. The Duke Burglar politely robs you of unwanted smells. Let these thieves naturally clean the air so that no one will know you were there. To get yours for every bathroom in your home, go to the Duke Burglar on Instagram or look for the link in our show notes. What if someone was being physically or emotionally abused right next door to your home and you didn't even notice? And if you didn't notice, then why would anyone else notice? Today's guest is a dear friend of mine who I have watched come through some of the most horrific abuse from her childhood to living a life of victory through her relationship with Jesus. Come on, go with me. Well, hello, everyone, and welcome back to Amazing Grace Talk Podcast. Today on our show, you guys, we've got a friend of mine I've known for a long time, I think over 13 years, and her name is Heidi Crawford. When I met Heidi, we were in a business together, and um, the way that I knew her was high-functioning, very professional, very helpful, very confident, and would have never, ever known that the story that she's going to tell today was underlying And it was like a, I would say like a sleeping bear. She's going to tell us today how she feels like she was able to get through that. Heidi, welcome to the show. Thank you, Erica. I'm excited to be here with you. I'm so grateful that um, you said yes to sharing your story. It's a highly sensitive story. And I know that it's your heart to help people. And that's why you've decided to come out and share your story with us today. Tell us first, before we get into it, tell us a little bit just about yourself. Okay, well, I'm married to my amazing husband, Sean. We've been together for over 25 years, and he's just uh, my best friend. He's kind, he's generous, he's a hard worker, um, loves God, loves our kids. He's just such an amazing person. We have three beautiful kids who, two adults. <laughs> and then we had the biggest surprise ever. We had the amazing blessing and addition of our little Carson who came flying in from nowhere. <laughs> and um, he is nine years old. So this is super fun for us to get a second round of parenting together. We're having so much fun with him. How different is it? Are you a lot more lenient with him? Our oldest two kids would say yes. (laughs) Um, We are different. We can savor him more because we're not as frantic trying to provide and figure marriage out and figure all that new, you know, adulting stuff out. So it's very different, but we're also maybe a little more strict in some ways with education and technology. Some other ways where we have maybe a few more boundaries, but we also have three beautiful little granddaughters who are just, they're my heart. He is a little angel. I'm always telling people, I'm like that little boy, I just want to take him home with me. He is an angel and he's just precious and all those cute little things, helping neighbors and praying for them. (laughs) That is so sweet. So clearly you guys are doing a great job. And I know he was a little angel that came right in the nick of time in your life for sure. And you can see that now. Yes. Um, So where, where should we start with this story? I know there's a lot to cover, um, but I want you to go ahead and just um, start, just start from the beginning. Okay. Well, I've declined talking about my story before now because it would really upset family. And I didn't want to do that. I love my family so, so much. I'm very, very close to my siblings and they're just, uh, they're such amazing champions, um, who've overcome so much and they're my favorite people. Um, I love my extended family and there's a lot of pain There's a lot of pain in my story and I have wanted to honor my mother and father. And I've really, you know, prayed about this. Like, how do I honor them within such difficult situations? And how do I, how do I tell my story, but not hurt my family? And so I've kept quiet. I've declined even, you know, media interviews and things like that because I haven't wanted to hurt anybody. But what's happened in the last few months is I started having people reach out to me who I was raised with, and we we were in the same religious sect. 
Um, a lot of people are calling it a cult. I, and this is unfolding. So this, this story is not about me having like, yes, I've, I've experienced so much healing and I'm so grateful for that, but this is an unfolding, evolving story, which I think all of our stories really are. I'm still, I'm still trying to come to grips with how I was raised and what I was raised in and why the kind of evil that happened to me was able to take place and kept silent. So yeah, this is loaded. This story is really loaded. But as these, as my friends from, from when I was growing up, who I hadn't talked to in 20 years, some of them, 25 years said, did you hear what's going on with the religion we were raised in? Have you heard about all the abuse that's coming out, all the rape, all the pedophiles, all the, this cover up and and I was put in a couple different support groups for people who had been very harmed by this sect. And it just broke my heart. It was like hearing my story over and over and over again. And nobody was allowed to talk about it. And the minute you stepped out, the minute you raised your hand and said, this isn't right, or I'm being hurt, or questioned anything, you were slapped right back in, in line. You were treated like you were the predator. You were the abuser. You were the problem. And the damage that it does to your life on every level, your mind, body, spirit, soul, relationships, career, I mean, everything, just seeing it play out in person after person, it, it's just broke my heart. And I tried to speak out about it a couple months ago and immediately I was shut down and, you know, was told, get back in line. Don't talk about these things. You're, you're bitter, you're unforgiving. And that's the other thing that I've seen with these people. Um, that's so similar is the minute you start to share your story, you get called names and religious names, you know, <laughs> things that are meant to actually help us. Um, we don't want to be bitter. We don't want to be unforgiving, but you called these for saying, I want abuse to stop. When you shared some of your story with me, I was like, how, how come you weren't able to get help when you were going through all of this? I remember you telling me that you tried to get out and you try, or you tried to speak up and then tell us what happened then. Which time, like when I was little or as an adult? Well, when you were little and this abuse was going on and you tried to, I remember you telling me that you're, you knew that the Bible and what you were being taught did not add up mm -hmm. and you knew something just wasn't right. And, but yet there was no one there to help you and you were stuck. Um, and, but you knew in your heart, you know, kind of your story of, how you stepped away, um, you, you always knew God that was there, but yet you didn't understand. You couldn't put it all together because it just didn't, on the surface, it didn't make sense. I knew from the time I was little that something was terribly wrong. I was conceived by a brutal rape. Um, I was the third child. My parents got married. They both were in this religious sect. And my father is very mentally ill. He's been diagnosed with everything from bipolar to paranoid schizophrenia, delusions of grandeur, narcissism. He's been in the mental institution a couple of times. Um, so he's a very, very sick individual. My mother, I'm not sure. I mean, first of all, I think you probably are not that healthy in order to marry somebody like that in the first place. Um, they're both from amazing families. Like they're, they're, they're the only people in their families. Like their siblings are totally normal, great people, have beautiful relationships with their kids, marriages, and, and their families are like, we're so sorry. We don't know what happened to them. It's... It's really weird, but this is where I think when you mix some mental issues, mental illness with toxic religion, I think you get 
really bad results. Mm -hmm. It's like the devil gets in there when it's uh, such a toxic environment like I was raised in. So my father absolutely believes that um, men should be able to do anything they want to women and children short of killing them. And he, he would literally kind of test that boundary with me a little bit when he would abuse me. Um, I remember like drifting in and out of consciousness and uh, just like uh, hoping for death. What age are you speaking of right now? Like in, in this memory? The earliest that I can remember where he would do, uh, where he would suffocate me um, was maybe five years old, maybe five or six. Um, but that's also how I knew God was real because there was such a comforting presence around me, even in the most horrible of situations. So he believed that this was his right, his God given right as a man. And so when I came along, my, my brother and my sister had already been born and my mother was very excited to be a mom to them, but she did not want a third baby. She wasn't ready for a third baby, three babies in three years. You know, that was not her idea or her plan. Um, so he had, he had uh, raped her um, violently and that's how I was conceived. She, it did something to her. It broke her. Um, and as a, a woman to woman, I can't imagine what she went through two little babies and this violent, sick man that you're married to. And within this religious sect, women, you're not allowed to divorce. This is totally against God's will. If you divorce, you can't, you know, um, when you go to, to do the bread and the wine every week, um, communion is what it's normally called. If you get divorced, you can't partake of that you're now dirty. It's just so looked down on. So it was like her soul or her mind and her body. You know, it, she was so severely spiritually abused. But when she gave birth to me, um, cause I would ask her questions. I would say, why don't you love me? Why don't you like me? And she would say, I, I didn't want you. I never wanted you. And she said, I, I have prayed that God would help me love you. And some, sometimes I think I feel love for you. But it was, she would look at me with such complete disgust and rage, really even rage. It was like I was this walking, breathing reminder of how violated she had been. And there was nothing in this world I could do. She wouldn't hug me. If, if, there was people around, she would be socially acceptable to me, mm -hmm. but mm -hmm. there weren't people around. Um, I, I, she never once tucked me in bed at night or kissed me goodnight. I mean, none of it, none of it. But you I, saw her doing this to your siblings. I love you to your siblings. Yes. I, I don't even know how you get through that, especially as a small child and you're, and you're feeling so I mean, there's so many components to this story and there's so many, you know, thinking about, like you said, having compassion for your mom at that very moment of two mm -hmm. small children being raped. I'm sure she didn't tell a soul. She did tell her parents. She did tell the pastors of this church. They're called workers. She would talk mm -hmm. to them and these workers, they go two by two and they live in people's homes, which is part of how all the pedophilia uh, happened. Oh my gosh, it's horrendous. Anyway, um, yeah, she told them and not, nothing was, nobody confronted Dean. Mm -hmm. I can't associate the word father with him because yeah. it's just too sick. Nobody took it seriously enough to, to stop him. And so all that time you growing up, you were being physically abused emotionally abused was anybody else in your family being abused was it the siblings that came after you all of us were abused to some degree and 
this is my story and, and my take on just my experience. Um, no, not all of us siblings experience the same thing. And when you go through trauma, you all have, every one of you have a different way of dealing with it and a different lens through which you see things. So if you had one of my siblings tell a story about their upbringing, you would think, were you in the same house? <laughs> because we have different ways of surviving. I mean, all of them would say that Dean is a very violent, violent man. I mean, he was put in the mental hospital when I was three years old because um, he just beat me from head to toe. I've had people on both sides of my family uh, tell me about that incident and it was horrendous. And he beat my mom's head into the floor and knocked her unconscious um, from, from what I can remember the stories you know, that I heard were he was put in the, the mental hospital and he was there for quite a while because all he had to do was say he was sorry to get out. And it took him over six weeks to even say he was sorry because he really, he really wasn't. Who, who made that rule up? You can go back to your family. If you say you're sorry, the police or who just the mental hospital. And then there was no follow-up after that at all with, someone going from brutally beating somebody to back in a home, just nothing. You know, in today's world, Erica, that would never happen. Mm -hmm. It wouldn't happen. But again, you know, from what family has told me, I've spent a lot of time with my relatives and this is part of the reason I am who I am because I've been loved on uh, just fiercely by my aunts and my uncles and my grandmas and grandpas. And I would ask them all kinds of questions. Cause I'm like, you guys have to help me understand. I don't know anybody like my parents. I don't know anybody who's had an upbringing like me, that they're the weirdest people I know. And so they would kind of talk me through things. And, and one of the things is my mom was, she's a nurse and she presents as much healthier than my dad. Although I don't know if it's the abuse. I don't know if she's just that emotionally or mentally off. Um, she can present much more sane, but really she's not any healthier. Didn't you leave home at 15? Yes, 14. How were you able to get away? Oh, well, you want to hear something funny? <laughs> so I tried to get away when I was 12. Oh my gosh, I can't believe I'm going to tell you this. The abuse was really bad. I was really, really sick of it. I couldn't do anything. You know, there was nothing I could do that was good enough or whatever to stop, to stop being abused. And I was telling a, a friend of mine at, at school when I was 12, that I needed to run away from home. I just had to get away. And she came up to me right as school was getting out and she had keys. And she said, cause she wanted to run away too. She was in a, her dad was abusive she had keys and she goes, I got a car. And she said, it's the school secretary's. Her keys were just right there. And I know what car is hers. And I'm like, and she goes, we can run away. We can get out of here. And in my mind, I just remember going freedom, <laughs> freedom. Okay, let's do it. And we went and got in that car and yeah. Mm-hmm. You stole a car. <laughs> we just wanted to run away. I never wanted to come back. I, I didn't know where we were going. We had no plan. We were just leaving. And I didn't ever want to see my parents again. And we ended up wrecking. Not bad. But anyway, we ended up at the police station. I want to ask you, where was your faith at this time? Because here you were in, caught up in this, if I can say it, if, if you don't mind, this weird <laughs> religious beliefs. And knowing that that wasn't obviously that wasn't of God because God is the peace and love. And that was not what you were experiencing. Where was your faith at this time? I don't think I, I mean, I was so angry. I didn't know who God was. I, the God that I was being abused in the name of, and, and with the Bible as justification and, and backup of why they had to treat 
me the way they did. And, you know, just all these warnings about how bad God is. And if you step out and if you say anything, you know, when I would like, even if I would try to tell people my mom and dad don't love me, they would say, don't you say that you're being a naughty little girl. You know, it's like, who is God? This evil monster who hates people and loves to torture people. Um, there was no love in, in the God I was being shown, we'd sing Jesus loves me, but I'm like, really, this, this does not feel like love. So I was just angry. Did you go to an actual building of a church? No, they meet in homes. Okay. Um, it has no name, although on the inside, people call it the truth on the outside. People call it the two by twos. Um, no, they just, you have to wear dresses. Uh, you cannot cut your hair. Like if you even just cut bangs, um, that's a sin. Um, yeah, like no, no jewelry. It was just a very works based. Yeah. All about the outward appearance, all about man-made rules. Uh, so, so many rules and really keeping women very oppressed. So then you're 14 and you, you left. Where did you go? How did, how was life for you then? My parents tried to kick me out when I was 12. They couldn't find any place to send me. Then some of their friends in Wyoming became foster parents. And so I was their first foster child. Those poor people. Um, (laughs) So yeah, and like Dan came and saw me, my brother, Dan would come to Wyoming and see me at the foster home. So you were at the foster for how long? And you were in Wyoming, so a whole nother state. You know, it was great being away from my parents. I loved that. My body could finally breathe a little bit. I could finally feel a little bit, you know, I could sleep at night better and things like that. But, um, I missed my siblings so much because like they're all of there's seven kids in my family and those babies, all of my younger siblings, I just loved holding them and playing with them. And, you know, I was so, so bond. I still am so bonded with them. So that was really hard being away from them. But then I just, I moved around from place to place and I got in trouble and I drank and I would try to skip school. And I just, I just didn't care. Well, you were with the foster parents. Then where did you go? Um, from there, I, um, went to a place that, uh, was for juvenile delinquents. For how long were you there? And what was that like? It was horrible. So what I want to know is when you ended up meeting Sean, you got married, if, unless you wanted to still fill us in there, I want to know, like, how in the world did you go from being so abused for years on end to the Heidi that I ended up meeting. Are you needing a roof inspection? Think you may have hail damage? Wondering if insurance will cover it? Or just looking for some beautiful seamless gutters? If so, and you are located in the Dallas-Fort Worth area, then give Blue Diamond Roofing and Construction a call at 469-360-1578 for your free consultation. How in the world did you go from being so abused for years on end to the Heidi that I ended up meeting during those period of years? Did you just put it on a shelf? Is it, was that for survival the only way you could, or how did you, how did you get through that? Well, I really acted out. I was enraged by how my siblings were treated. I was enraged by how my mom was treated and that all these religious people were just fine with her being with this disgusting man and all of it, all of it. I'm just like, this is the most ridiculous thing. I'm, I'm a fighter. (laughs) And so that's actually healthy. Um, My therapists have said that the one who fights and the one who acts out is a lot of times one of the healthiest ones in the group because they're at least acknowledging like, Hey, this is so wrong. And I have grandparents who just loved on me and my aunts and uncles. Um, so I knew what love felt like, I knew what love felt like, and I very much wanted that in my life. Um, 
a big turning point for me was, you know, I had to get away from my parents. That was awesome. I couldn't wait to get on my own. So I became independent just as quickly as I could. I, I love to work. So that was no problem for me. But the minute I found out that I was pregnant with Aaliyah, everything in my life changed. And I didn't, I really didn't value myself really, really very much at all. I had kind of accepted, I had, I had felt like there was definitely something inherently wrong with me for a mom to not be able to even care, much less love their child. And then I was just told, it, it was like, she never said a good thing about me. It was like, if she said one good thing about me, she was affirming that that rape was okay. So I would say I had a broken self-esteem. <laughs> probably be, you know, an understatement. But the minute I found out that I was going to be a mom, life was not about me anymore. I just had this thing well up in me that was my life will become all about being the best mom that I can be and giving this beautiful child the life she deserves. I really learned to love me through how much I loved her. Mm -hmm. But somewhere along the way, you there was some healing that took place because you had an, your eyes were open somewhere because so many, you know, a lot of times, typically if you're abused, hurt people, hurt people. And that's always been that way. I mean, not, not always, but it's always been that way that it's, it's the majority that if someone's hurt, you know what I'm saying? And, and so how in the world did you come to this place that you, or did you just know that you knew that you knew that you knew that that was wrong and you would never do that? And you wanted to love Aaliyah. I mean, how, how was that? Where do you, where do you think that came from? Well, first of all, I wanted to be like my grandma's. Okay. That's what it was. Yeah. Yeah. They're such beautiful people. And I would never treat somebody the way my parents treated me because I recognized it as wrong. I think that's the problem was when you don't recognize it as wrong, when you're raised with such dysfunction and you think, well, this is what family is. This is what family does. But even with that though, Erica, I haven't been a perfect mom and Aaliyah will tell you, you know, that I scared her when I would yell. That's something I've really worked on. <laughs> when she would tell me not to yell, I would like grab a pillow and put my face in it. And I'd be like, oh, pick up your room. <laughs> um, so, but I was always asking for feedback too, because I was so scared of being a bad mom that I would have meetings with Max and Aaliyah. And I'm like, okay, let's talk about what's going well, what's not going well, like, how are we doing? What makes you feel loved? What makes you feel unloved? And, you know, so I've, I've second guessed myself a lot and I've also read tons of books. See, that's another thing we weren't allowed to do in this sect is read. You couldn't have outside influences that out, outside people outside this little saved group. They're only God's children. They're the only children of God. Everybody else is going to hell and they should not be trusted. And they're just trying to, you know, they're bad people. So there's no reading books from outside influences or music or magazines or TV or movies or anything. So I was just so hungry to, um, oh, my aunt sent me codependent no more. Yeah, that's a good one. Melody Beattie. <laughs> uh, that was my first self-help book that was a game changer for me. I was in an abusive relationship. I read the first two pages and I got up. You can't change people. What? All right. See ya. Uh, but that just showed me like, whoa, information is power. It is such power and it really matters. I thought, man, if my mom would have had information like this, she would have been so empowered to live a completely different life and to be able to get her kids into a safe environment. But when you, when you're not even afforded the power to have knowledge, that's scary. That's why people call it a cult. Yeah. Well, the scary thing is that most of them are still in, right? 
they're all still believing the lies. Mm -hmm. What I'm trying to, I've never understood from the beginning of hearing these stories is that how, when you're growing up and you're, and these things are happening, how do you even function in the uh, socialize in the outside world? How do you live in that world and this world at the same time? You probably weren't allowed to have sleepovers. Yeah, hardly ever. I mean, if friends were over, did your mom act or dad act crazy? Yeah, one of the only times, my mom is, if you met her, she would be the sweetest person you you have ever met. And people just love her. Um, my dad, one of the only times I remember having a friend over, I, I don't even remember what he did. I didn't think it was that bad. She got so scared, she called the police. And then I, the police showed up at my house and then I had to sit there talking to the police, convincing them everything was fine. What did he say? Um, I think they talked to him too. Yeah. And it was seeing that in that wild that you thought it was just normal. I mean, you knew it was not right, but yet just that behavior, someone seeing from the outside, he probably never let anybody come over again. We didn't have many friends over, but we were also really embarrassed. So. Mm. So then you, so you, you were packing and you were leaving. And then, so tell us what happened next. Like where, where would you like to share next from the story? Well, I was in school, I was in pre-law and I loved that. I went from not doing well in school at all to in college being on the Dean's list. And that was another, just discovering who I am. Another thing that, um, my mom tried to do is, uh, she took me to court and, and, um, brought a felony charge against me. A parent can bring a felony charge against a, a teen. It's called a chins petition. I hadn't done anything that would have, warranted this, but she knew that if she brought that right before I turned 18, that, um, that I would get sent to another juvenile, uh, center right before I turned 18. And I was so, I was just so excited to be 18. So I could just be on my own and get away from them and just do my life. And I was trying to graduate from high school and it would have, that would have, um, killed my ability to graduate from high school too, which was important. And, you know, education was not something that my parents really cared too much about. And when I went to court, it was me on one side of the courtroom. And then it was my mom and she had brought pastors from the sect to support her. (laughs) And I had done some of my own research before I'd showed up to court. See, I guess, I don't know, by the grace of God, honestly, by the grace of God, I've always had this fighter in me, this warrior that just rose up and said, not so fast. I had done some research and there was a program where you could get your high school diploma and you could get a technical trade at the same time. And I told the judge, I said, well, I I found this program. I really want to get my high school diploma and I'm going to need to support myself. So I want to, I want to get this clerical trade as well. And Mm -hmm. he said, that sounds like a great plan to me. And my mom was on the other side saying, no, she needs to be locked away. And he said, no, we're going to, we're going to give this girl the right start to her life. So thank goodness he sided with me. And you were able to get out. And did you have a Leah at the time or not yet? No. So what I was wondering about is when did you feel safe to believe in God again? And I would also like to know, like, how did you put all this aside for all the years that you were essentially until it all kind of came, came up 10 years ago or whenever that was like, how did you go through your life? Just not talking about it. No, I didn't really talk about it. My relationship with God, I, I, that was really scary to me. I was, I was really scared of God. Like I knew that there was some strength, there was some higher power, if you will. And I always had a reverence for God. When I was eight years old within this sect, you could do something that was called professing. And I think they mean it's professing to that group that you're going to be loyal to that group. But, um, I professed to God, you know, like I professed my love for God that I would serve God. And then 
but I, but then I just, I basically shelved that because it was so scary. But then when I, again, when I was pregnant with Aaliyah, that's when I prayed for the first time <laughs> and was like, okay, I think I need a little help here. Um, but I'm scared of you. And, and I couldn't touch a Bible. Like even looking at a Bible would just, ugh, it would just make my skin crawl because it, it was synonymous with abuse for me. Until then, did you know what the Bible even said, or was it just them holding it saying, this is what the Bible says? No, we read the Bible all the time, but it was through such a lens of control. And like, it's better to go to the house of mourning than the house of laughter. And I mean, it was like the most negative spin on everything. Like God is just angry with you. Yeah. It was about control. Not, and again, this is my take. There's, there's lots of people who, and even, you know, some of my siblings feel very different about that, um, where it wasn't such a negative thing to them. But for me, it was just, it was terrifying. How, how can that be that they don't, that they don't feel the way that you do from everything that you experienced? I definitely experienced a different degree of violence. And then I didn't have that bond with my mother either. Um, you know, so it was, I think there was, that was a little harder on me. Maybe I can't speak for my siblings, you know, I understand, you know, when I met you, I just loved you and loved your friendship and the person that you were. So of course I could have never imagined or dreamed that you were, had gone through or anything like that. And then when you started letting in little pieces, it was just like, <laughs> what, <laughs> you know, I mean, so can you talk a little bit about when it all kind of manifested again later on in life? Okay. So, yeah, I, I think one of the things about trauma is that it gives us a lot of superpowers <laughs> you learn to adapt, you learn to perform. Yeah. You learn to take that pain and, and the anger was actually fuel in my tank, you know, and, and I really had a lot to prove. I was trying to prove to myself that I did have value. And, and if I made enough money or if I was just good enough somehow, then maybe someday, somehow my mother would come back to me and say, Oh, did you always feel that you wanted that from her? Even at this point, like, is that so something you always desired that maybe if I'm good enough, my mom will love me? I, I think subconsciously. Yes. I mean, now not so much. I, I really feel just such a acceptance from God, such a, such a love. I mean, he knit me in my mother's womb. Um, I did end up getting into the Bible later on and cause I just wanted to see like, what does this thing say? I want to know what this thing says and how can it be so twisted in such evil ways? So it was some of that curiosity that, that made me go to it. And what I found is that I am more than a conqueror and that God will give me beauty for ashes. And I found it so empowering and freeing. You you were able to function all those years. And then at what point did you, you know, you started having migraines. Maybe you want to talk about Dan. I don't know. Escaping from that trauma or just putting it on a shelf. And then that big event happening in your life. And I mean, I, I could be wrong, but I, I thought that's when it all kind of surfaced. This is hard stuff. And mm -hmm you know, like the people in this support group that, that were raised in the same sect as me, they're wondering, am I going to be okay? How can I ever be okay? Um, how can I ever feel okay again? How can I ever trust? How am I ever going to trust anybody? And for me, I, I had such love of my grandmas, you know, I've, I've said that multiple times and my aunts and uncles, um, that, that was there, but so was the love of my brother and Dan and I were just, we communicated without, 
words. We had each other's back from the time we were little and we were always touching, like all of the, the baby pictures of us too were holding each other's hand or his arm is around me. And that's where I got my nurturing from. We nurtured each other within that horrendous pain. These two little babies, you know, there's nothing more true on earth than love. And there's nothing more powerful than love. We just had each other. Yeah. And um, he, what I would say was the most successful person I had ever met. And, you know, the kind of businesses we've been in and um, we've met really successful people. <laughs> but my brother, his mind was just incredible. And he was such an incredible dad and businessman and husband and friend. Sean and Dan, my husband, Sean, were best friends and had been working together since they were teenagers. Um, and they were in business together. We played together, um, went to Hawaii together, went to the lake every weekend together, um, took care of each other's kids. We just did life together and we just were always looking at each other like I got you you got me we got this like look and we would talk and we would say can you believe what we were raised with and and how blessed we are like what amazing lives we get to live in spite of what we were raised with like we've done so good we've done so good and one day um we got the call that uh somebody was looking for him. They hadn't been able to find him. And we found out he had died. He had taken his own life. Did you instantly feel not only that you were sad for his life being gone, but feel lost and maybe not protected? Like, where's my protector? I didn't think about that. No, I thought I have to protect his kids. You know, I, I have to, I have to protect him. I didn't want anybody to know that that was how he had gone. Um, I wanted to protect him and his kids. What was your life like in the next few years? Or even that first year afterwards? The first year afterwards, I still, I was doing, I mean, I was devastated beyond, beyond devastated, but I could still function. And then, um, my parents did some things, especially Dean, even the week of his death, that was just so outrageous and cold and so off. It's like, you would think losing your child would somehow bring some humanity to you, but it didn't. Um, he was still doing his crazy stuff. And I was weakening. I was weakening. I couldn't, I couldn't sleep. Um, our daughter, Aaliyah was going, you know, we had two teenagers and a baby <laughs> and Carson didn't sleep very much. Um, we just started a trucking business on top of all the other things that we had done. And I just, I just, I didn't sleep very much at all. And um, my nervous system was becoming more and more dysregulated, which I've now learned in trauma. You can perform at a high level for a long time, but if you don't regulate your nervous system, eventually it will kick your butt. It, it will catch up with you. Um, I didn't know though, you know, I, I ate really clean. I meditated, I, I prayed, I journaled. You know, I have, I have good relationships, you know, I check all the boxes for what healthy, successful people do. And, um, so I didn't understand why I was going downhill. Like I got migraines. This started before Dan died. I got them, um, once a month and then twice a month and then every week and then, 
after he died, it, a, a migraine came on and it didn't leave. Um, I started waking up in the middle of the night in flashbacks of moments of just horrendous abuse of my siblings. The flashbacks weren't usually of my own abuse. They were of my siblings being abused and I would just be screaming and, and I, I would wake up just sweating and just terrified, shaking. And then I'd be scared to go to sleep because I didn't want to go back into one of those. And then I started having panic attacks and that's when I went and I got myself a psychologist. Mm -hmm. Well, I know, you know, it's, it's like, just like what you're saying with the panic attacks I've always said, um, you know, anxiety, panic attacks, those are something traumatic in someone's life that they have never dealt with that maybe is buried. Uh, they've never had healing. And then later on, it manifests into panic attacks and anxiety and all of those other things. But I know in the last five years of really learning about being saved and healed, uh, it's amazing how what, what the power of God can do. So as you began to have all these migraines, panic attacks and things, because I remember, you know, I remember you always eating so clean and working out really hard. And then you were told you, your adrenaline, what was it? Your uh, adrenal glands were shot and you weren't even allowed to work out. I mean, wh where were, where was your mind at the time? I mean, how are you getting through that? I, I was just, my mind was blown. I couldn't believe I went to Carson started running from me. He was three years old and I went to chase him and I was in good shape. I had a lot of muscle on me. I could run. I went to chase him and I couldn't catch him. My legs would not move. And, um, I mean, I was moving, but barely, I didn't have any juice left. I went to a homeopathic and she did a a hormone test and she said your cortisol level doesn't even doesn't even start to rise she's like you are completely tanked she goes you've gone over you know you hear people having high cortisol mm -hmm. um she goes you've you've just shot off that cliff and mm -hmm. i had tanked and i had low very low cortisol i had no adrenaline response um my heart wasn't even beating rhythmically like it it should. My liver didn't have enough energy to function correctly. I mean, it was it was bad. Were you diagnosed with anything in particular, or just the fact that your adrenals and your all that was shot, or you didn't end up you didn't end up with an autoimmune or anything like that, right? Uh, I went to my regular doctor when I ended up in the ER like three times in a in a weekend, and he said you, I think you might have Addison's, you need to go to an endocrinologist. And I just said, no, I didn't yeah. go. You didn't have an autoimmune, thank the Lord, or you didn't accept it that you did, but your body gave out. Mm -hmm. You couldn't function anymore. And so those traumas unhealed, that's where, that's where it begins. And so you've been on a journey, I know for many years of all sort, you know, we both agree on natural healing and, you know, spiritual healing and taking time, meditating, praying, and just going after natural remedies for healing. Tell us about what you went through with that or where you are now. I did want to do all natural and it got to the point where I felt like I was just going to lose my mind. The, mm -hmm. the amount of physical pain from the migraines was it was so bad. And I was trying the homeopathic stuff. Then I tried a naturopathic doctor. They didn't even touch it. And not only did they not touch it, but they were giving me supplements that my body wasn't even strong enough to absorb. Um, I mean, when you're so, so, so weak, but I could still present well, you know, there's that performer of me. So I, I would still show up and present like, yeah, maybe kind of functioning, but if I had shown up the way I felt, they probably would have put me in a hospital, but I was just so used to having to perform and show up and, and look good and everything. Then they would, you know, they would try to give me supplement. I couldn't, you know, that would just make me more sick. So a few different things, I really worked hard on the psychological end of things. I met with a psychologist 
which was very, very humbling for me because the last time I had walked into the psychologist's office, it was my brother, Dan and I, um, bringing our father in there. And we had told him, you either come see the psychologist because he was doing some really, really bad, wacky things. Then we said, you either go to jail or you come to the psychologist with us. And he agreed to go to that office with us. So the last time I was there, it was with my crazy father. And now here I am sitting alone in this office and Dan is dead. And I'm wondering, where's my mind? You know, am I like my parents? What, what are my kids going to go through? Um, is this just genetic? Am I just doomed? Mm. You know, it was, are we too broken? I've been through too much, you know, and that's great that God's promises are there for everybody else, but it feels like it's, this is a little bit too much. I just, it's too much. But I told the psychologist, I love my kids. I love my husband. I love my grandkids. So you tell me what to do to heal and I'll do my best. This conversation was so full of Heidi's testimony that we had to break it up into two podcasts. So I hope you will join us back in a couple of weeks as we continue her journey. Well, thanks everyone for joining us again. And don't forget to follow me on Instagram or Facebook at Erica C. Meyer Williamson. And please subscribe to this podcast so you won't miss any of the amazing stories that could open your eyes and seeing God in a whole new light and bring hope and healing to your life. If you would like to be considered as a guest on our show, please email me at ericaseemeyer at gmail.com and share a little of your story. If you have enjoyed these podcasts and would like to be one of our awesome supporters, please click the Patreon link in the show notes to sign up for monthly support or a one-time donation. We thank you all for your generous support. And last but not least, we would be so honored if you would write a good review, subscribe to the show, and share this podcast on your social media. We'll see you back here next time on Amazing Grace Talk.